Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. We're your hosts, Sammy and Danny, and today's episode is going to be a Q&A style episode. We're going to be answering some of the questions you asked us on Instagram and some general questions we've got from clients. So Sammy, do you want to kick off with the first question? Yes, so first question is how to do a rest pause. So rest pause or how to program it. Uh, so rest pause is just kind of like a style of training where you're extending the set that you're doing so i would say you don't really want to do it as your first set because then that's kind of taking yourself to failure so what you would do essentially is do like let's say 10 reps with 100 kilos then rest 15 to 20 seconds the time that you rest can vary so some coaches might program 10 seconds some might program 30 seconds so you can play around with that um so after you uh, rest like 10 to 20 seconds you then keep the weight the same do as many reps as you can again rest again and then go again so you have like three kind of three lots of doing that set if that makes sense yeah it can be programmed in different ways, but you wouldn't want to do it on like every exercise or on every set because it'd just be way too much yeah. because essentially you're pushing past the point of failure and it's a way to increase the intensity of your training. Um, so yeah, like Sammy said, you do it on the last set of an exercise and you would, you'd have to be careful at of where you program the rest pause. So you wouldn't, for example, do it on your first five exercises of the session and then for your last few be absolutely fucked. Um, you've got to be careful with how you program it. But yeah, it's a good method of increasing the intensity and pushing for a few more reps. And you wouldn't want to do it on something like squats. <laughs> <laughs> no, unless you're a bit crazy, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, and also guys, it's not a drop set. So don't treat it like a drop set because you keep the weight the same. Yeah, it's essentially you're just resting for a short period enough to allow you to push a few more reps out. That's it purely. Yeah, exactly. Um, so next question we got is when did you both get food focus on prep and how many weeks out? So I personally, on prep, I'm not very food focused. I do go a little bit robotic in prep and I see food as more like, it's just what has to be eaten. It's what has to be done to get to the end goal. Um, and I'm not quite so food focused. I suppose maybe towards the end of a prep when I can kind of see the finish line, there's a potential to be a little bit food focused at some periods of time. but. Um, I don't think I get too bad during a prep. It's more after the prep that the food focus really kicks in and I do start to feel it and your day kind of starts to evolve a little bit more around food. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with Danny on this one. But also something that I personally notice is the reason a lot of people become food focused is because they almost make themselves. So they start looking at things on Instagram, watching all these porn yeah. videos, you know, some people go weeks before their competition, buy all these sweets that they never even eat on a normal, like they've never even had them. And you know what? I've done that actually. I got all, all of this stuff, protein bars, chocolate bars. And I'm like, I've never even eaten that. And it's almost like it's become like a thing. You know, you yeah. see all these people. And honestly, the reason I did it is because I saw people 
doing it for their comps and I was like oh maybe I should do it too because it's like the normal thing to do so really guys when it comes to food focus on prep I think it's like Danny said is the mentality you have is if you have that end goal just focus on that yeah many people around you doing all this food focus oh I want this I want that but and the thing is a lot of people they make like Sammy said they make the prep about the food they make it about competing getting on stage and then eating whatever the hell they want and having the ability to do that whereas if you focus on your own success the goal of stepping on stage and then kind of like you you have a plan post-show for what you want to achieve long term and in that case it becomes less about the food and more about your goals and progressing um so yeah it's almost like you've got to adopt a certain mentality towards prep and kind of ignore what everybody else is doing ignore people who are building post show stashes um and focus less on the food aspect and more on your goals as a competitor and what you want to achieve yeah and to add to that i also think prep and fat loss are two very different things so if I'm in prep or if someone's in prep, I'm personally kind of against the whole idea of like protein pancakes and making all of these kind of meals that look quite aesthetic, but not really filling. Because I think the goal in prep is obviously fueling your body, preserving your muscle. Whereas with fat loss, I think you can get away with being a bit more like flexible with the kind of foods that you make, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's there's like a fine line Definitely. between taking the mick with it and doing it to maintain a good relationship with food, maintain a bit of sanity through a prep. So I think definitely towards the, at the beginning of a prep, there is a bit of room for being flexible and um, just for your own sanity, to maintain a good relationship with food, to enjoy the process. I think it's okay to be a little bit flexible at times, especially like when you're educated as to how fat loss works you know how to make smart swaps where you need to and hit the fundamentals so as long as you're educated enough i think it's okay at the beginning but like sammy said when you get towards the end of a prep and your calories are really limited it's not going to be to your benefit to start you know trying to make your food too fancy because it's more than likely just going to set off your cravings rather than help with them especially if you have trigger foods which kind of set you off which a lot of people do yeah so just take the middle ground approach and just be reasonable with it really yeah um question next question we had was when you have rest days does that mean complete rest or do you still do steps and what do you do with your nutrition on a rest day so when it comes to rest days and kind of how to program what you do on those days i think it depends on several things. So what your goal is at that time, are you in prep? Are you just doing fat loss? Are you, are you doing hypertrophy? Because personally, the way I've used rest days in the past, um, so when I was in prep, I used it as a day where I did more cardio, I did more steps on that day, and I ate less food. So then on my training days, I can prioritize my training session and eating more food to fuel my training session um but equally i think when you're in a hypertrophy phase or an off season i think it's good to keep your rest days the same as your training days because it aids with recovery 
So there's, it, honestly, at the, at the end of the day or at the end of the week, obviously, whether you're in fat loss or gaining muscle is how many calories you have over the week. So rest days and training days, you don't, it's not like if you eat more on a rest day, you're going to gain weight, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's your overall calories throughout the week. What, what dictate whether you will gain, maintain or lose weight and how you wish to distribute those is partly personal preference, but also take into account your own activity levels, your job. Um, because if you're a personal trainer who's on their feet all day and you teach classes, etc., it may be beneficial for you to have a decent amount of carbohydrate and therefore calories on your rest days because you might just be as active as your training days but for someone like myself now that sits at a desk all day I might prefer to drop my calories on a rest day because I'm not expending anywhere near as many calories if I'm not doing like all of the cardio etc not training um so it's personal preference and it depends what suits you as an individual and what's more optimal for you as an individual. Um, because like I said, some people can get away with, um, they expend just as much energy on a rest day as they do on a training day, especially if you have a really active job. So don't feel like you have to drop carbohydrate on your rest days. You really don't. Yeah, I agree with that. And you can use uh, rest days as a tool. So as an example, one of my clients right now is on the back end of prep. And she's becoming quite hungry. So she likes having two days a week, just two rest days where she's eating less because then she mentally knows that on the next day she gets more carbs. So yeah. it's more like Danny said, it's personal preference and you can kind of experiment with what works for you. Yeah. And also bear in mind that it might have a bit more of an effect at the back end of prep, like Sammy said with her client, because when I'm at the back end of prep, my calories are very limited. So I'd rather push more calories on my training day. And I actually psychologically notice a difference then if I have more calories on those days and on my rest days, I'm more willing to drop calories. So it's context dependent. Like at the peak of an off season, you don't need to push all of your calories to your training days. But at the dog end of a prep, it actually it might make a difference. So take into account your own individual circumstances and where you're at right now and what's appropriate for you as an individual. Yep, definitely. Um, so next question, how do you push yourself if you don't have a spotter and will it count if you probably do a little more volume? I think you can still push yourself very hard without a spotter. You just can't get, you can't obviously get forced reps because you know you've got no one to push those reps up and it might be a little bit harder to kind of like psychologically tap into the part of your mind which makes you push but it is possible it's not impossible um you've just got to be willing to really like work hard you've got to have a certain mindset which kind of like allows you to do that yeah. But don't be afraid of pushing yourself just because you're on your own and you can do things like use the safety bars if you're squatting. You can use machines which, you know, you won't hurt yourself if you fall at the bottom of a hack squat, whereas it would be a little bit more dangerous if you were doing a barbell back squat. So maybe pick your exercises wisely if you're training alone um, and program things which you don't mind pushing yourself on. Yeah. But yeah. 
I agree on that. And with things like Smith machine or machine, you can almost like push against it to help you with that last rep. So definitely agree yeah. with what Danny said. But also I think there's pros and cons to having a spotter because yeah, if, like if you don't have a spotter, like for a session, you're writing down in your logbook, right? This this was me without a spotter. So you've actually gone to your own maximum. Yeah. So I almost feel like personally, I prefer not to train with a spotter sometimes because that way I know what I'm doing with my body and I can then manage my fatigue. Where yeah. if you're always training with a training partner and spotter, obviously you're not really going to run into that issue because they're always there for you. So I think it's more about a consistency thing. Yeah. What I do if I have got a spotter is I only track the reps I get on my own, which yeah. is it's a good way to go about it because then it's standardized. And like Sammy said, it matters most that you keep it consistent. Um, but yeah, it is beneficial to have a, a spotter from like a bit of a hype man perspective, someone that hypes you up for a set. And, you know, it's always motivating to train with someone else, but you, you do have the ability to work hard on your own. You've just got to be willing to work. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think it's just a, a mindset thing. It's a bit mind over matter than actually a physical, um, like I can't do this rep sort of thing. Yeah. And just make sure that you're, um, you know, keeping track of your lifts. So then you, it shouldn't be like a, all of a sudden you're hitting a certain number. It's a gradual process. Yeah. And if you're logging your lifts, you know exactly what you need to do in order to progress. You're not going into the gym blind and you're much more likely to progress that way because you know what you've got to do. It's written in front of you and yeah. you know if you don't hit those reps and that weight that you haven't even maintained what you've done previously. So you know what you're capable of, you know what you need to do to progress. So I definitely would advise logging your lifts, especially if you're training alone. And it helps for you to kind of figure out what your maximum recoverable volume is as well, because yeah. you know, a lot of people don't actually know that because they don't track their lifts. So if you're not progressing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're weak or something. It's probably because you're doing too much volume. So just bear that in mind. Okay, so we had one on our podcast account. This person asked... She said she was entering her first figure competition in 14 weeks and wanted to start taking creatine. She said, how long does she need to, how long pre-stage does she need to allow to stop taking creatine? Um, and does she need to cut it out basically? And I also had another question about creatine from a client. She said she's competing with the UK DFBA. Can she take creatine? Um, and first of all i'd say if you're competing with the uk the fba yes you can take creatine it's absolutely fine um it's not on the banned substance list and you'll be you'll be fine with that yeah exactly um no creatine is quite a common thing i think that women get a bit worried with taking um due to the fact that it can cause water retention now the thing about creatine is it's the water retention that it gives you isn't bad um it does both do it has intracellular and extracellular water retention creatine causes both intracellular and extracellular muscle extracellular water retention but it's a productive thing and it will help you look fuller 
it'll help fill your muscles out and help them push against the surface of your skin and it will also help with your training performance which again will help with muscle fullness and maintaining as much muscle tissue as possible whilst you're dieting which will produce a better end product um so there's research um suggesting that creatine could help enhance um muscle glycogen uptake if it's taken in conjunction with a large serving of carbohydrate and protein um so if you wanted to take advantage of all the potential benefits of creatine i would take it with either your pre or post workout meal because you're most likely going to be consuming a large serving of protein and carbohydrate in that window and then you're going to be training as well so if you take in that window you're going to be taking advantage of all potential benefits of creatine um and you just need three to five grams per day every single day including your rest days of creatine monohydrate there's loads of research behind it and it's a really cheap supplement so it's something which the possible benefits definitely outweigh the costs and i would highly recommend it to most people um there's a lot of research behind it in terms of it aiding training performance and therefore enhancing the benefits of training um and there are also a lot of other benefits to creatine as well yeah if you guys haven't listened to our episode with jack lenton where we discuss supplements we actually talk about creatine so you can yes. go and listen to that because we go into depth about it there. Um, next question is actually from one of Danny's clients. Um, she's asking about how to manage social occasions. Um, yeah. So how, if you're dieting or you're macro tracking, how can you go about managing social occasions? Okay, so something I do with quite a lot of my general population clients is I say to them, if you've got a social event at the weekend, just save a certain number of calories per day through Monday to Friday, and then it gives you a bit more wiggle room and flexibility at the weekend for your meal out or whatever you're doing, birthday, night out, um, and it will increase your chances of success with fat loss that week because you've got more calories to play with at the weekend. You can be more flexible and you can enjoy whatever you're doing. Um, so they'll have two sets of macros. One are if they haven't got social occasions and the second set are to allow calories for the weekend. Um, and like I said, it just gives you a bit of wiggle room. And I still kind of try and encourage them to at least estimate the calories which they're consuming on a meal out or um, try and track it to the best of their ability so that they still succeed with fat loss. Um, but saving calories just allows more flexibility. And it's just about being smart with your choices as well. So um, for example, if you drink alcohol, go for lower calorie drinks as opposed to cocktails and wine. So I typically recommend a clear spirit with a diet mixer as that will keep the calories under control. And if you're eating at a restaurant, choose something with a full serving of protein in it, potentially like a lean cut of protein that will keep the calories down and just be smart with your choices um, and ask your coach as well for, for their help because they will help you. Yeah. And to add to that, kind of what Danny said um, is also what you can do is just do a bit of intermittent fasting. We kind of talked about this on the podcast with Amelia. Um, yeah. and then if you know that you're having a meal out in the evening, you can just save kind of bank your calories for later in the evening. 
Um, and also when you go to restaurants, you know, ask for things like dressings on the side. Yeah, they will cater for your preferences. Definitely. Everyone's always super scared of doing this, but that's what they're there for. And they're always more than happy to kind of like alter things or put dressings on the side. Or, you know, if you ask for chicken breast and some salad, they'll do it for you if you really want to stay on track and keep Definitely. your calories down. And a good um, example was actually this weekend when we went to the seminar, Danny and I. Yeah. Um, we all went out for a meal after and I'm currently dieting. So what I did is I just got the steak option and then asked them to swap the fries for some greens on the side, you know, because that way I can then just have carbs at home like oats, which is more trackable than fries. And then I can just track the steak because that's pretty much standard everywhere. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember for those of you who aren't competitors and aren't trying to diet to get stage lean or whatever, you do have the ability to be flexible and there are no like good and bad foods. What it ultimately comes down to is your calorie intake. So as long as you have that under control, it doesn't matter whether you're getting your calories from like steak and fries at a restaurant or whether you're getting them from oats and whey protein at home yes oats and whey protein would be more trackable you'd be able to be more accurate with that but if the calories were equated they would both still result in fat loss as long as you're within your calorie intake so don't stress too much about it and um, just bear in mind that different people have different goals people like me and Sammy will have to be more strict with things especially when we are in a contest prep but if you're just dieting for life, you have a lot more flexibility. Exactly. And I think it's very easy with social media these days to kind of feel like um, you have to eat like competitors, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But like Danny said, in reality, um, you're better off actually being a lot more flexible because then you're adopting the lifestyle as opposed to kind of changing your whole lifestyle yeah. to try and fit in there there is no right or wrong way to kind of go about it yeah and if you make it part of your life and something that you enjoy then you're much more likely to be able to maintain the results that you get from the process yeah. whereas if you feel restricted the whole time if you hate the process there's no way you're going to be able to maintain it at the end of what you class as the diet you're gonna think oh my god like i'm finally free to eat whatever the hell i want and you're gonna end up worse than you started so like view it as a lifestyle especially if your goal is not something like to compete or to do a photo shoot or something like that yeah and you can even end up becoming really food focused and having an eating disorder that way as well yeah um, so yeah definitely don't label things as good and bad and just be flexible with it uh right next question is a bit sciencey um is curcumin a good supplement to take if the goal is hypertrophy so um bodybuilding and training is the process of causing localized inflammation to encourage muscle growth right so curcumin is an anti-inflammatory so it's obviously doing the opposite of that so that's kind of what the question is asking and i did some research on curcumin because i'm actually currently taking it and although it is an anti-inflammatory it's not capable of completely eliminating inflammation. Um, and there's other benefits to it other than just um, as an anti-inflammatory. So it helps with supporting phase two liver detoxification. 
um, which is obviously good. But also I think if you take it away from training, so take it either first thing in the morning if you're training later in the day or like pre-bed, um, it won't really disrupt that inflammatory response you get from training. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And plus like plenty, like look at all the bodybuilders these days who are using it, both natty and assisted. They definitely are not struggling to gain muscle tissue. Yeah. Like look at definitely. AJ. I don't know. Is AJ taking curcumin? Do you know? I don't know whether he does. I know that he has in the past. But... Yeah. And like, um, if you listen to our podcast on supplements as well with Jack Lenton, he touched on curcumin's benefits if you have a particular injury or something like that as well um so definitely give that podcast a listen because there are more benefits to curcumin than you may think yeah and it's actually one of the most in literature it's one of the most proven um supplements to aid with inflammation yeah definitely worth investing into i just currently bought a liposomal version of it which is like a liquid form of it which is apparently more bioavailable that's the other thing guys you see curcumin available in places like holland and barrett but unfortunately it's not bioavailable for the body to absorb so make sure that the one that you get is of high quality and your body can actually absorb and use and that's worth taking into account with other supplements as well. Yeah. Just to point that out, like if you're getting a lot of your supplements from the supermarket or Holland and Barrett, you need to take into account the quality of that supplement. And it, you might be better off just investing a little bit more into a better quality supplement, which you can actually get the benefits from, as opposed to, like Sammy said, getting a store-bought um supplement which might not actually be very bioavailable which means your your body can't actually kind of like uptake that supplement if that makes sense definitely and i think the biggest one for this is fish oil the yeah oils you get which to be honest it's like the capsule is just like olive oil with like an extract of fish oil in it so just be careful with that yeah and do your research guys and then um, a good on that subject, if you ever do want to have a look into supplements, examine.com is a really good website. Um, so head over there if you do want to check anything out or do a little bit more research. Yeah, and it gives you like studies about um, the supplement as well. So yeah. So um, did either of you or both of you struggle to get your walk back right? <laughs> like coordinating your shoulders and legs i'm guessing you mean like your eye walk or you're walking on stage and when i first competed my posing was terrible like really really bad i don't think there's any videos on social media because um it was really really bad i could barely walk i was like bambi on ice so it took me a long time to get good at posing and i think that's to be honest one of the reasons why i'm okay at teaching it because i always found it so hard and i was so bad at it it took me so long to learn it and i kind of like know what works when you do struggle um but yeah i was honestly like bambi on ice it's really difficult but it practice makes perfect yeah and um for me i mean i only competed one season but I never really wore heels anyway, like prior to competing. So walking on heels already for me was quite challenging. 
And I remember when I first bought my heels, I was like 30 weeks out or something. And I walked on them and I thought, okay, I think I'm going to start practicing when I'm like 12 weeks out because I can't really see myself right now in a bikini at the body fat that I was at. Which, by the way, guys, is a massive mistake. Start practicing like way in advance. And yeah. having someone help you from the start. Because what happened was... I did my first posing class at 16 weeks out, which obviously was good because I, you know, I knew how to do all the poses and everything. And I've watched loads of competitions prior to this as well. So I had like a general clue, but the actual walking, like it looks easier than it actually is. And to be completely honest, this is going to sound ridiculous, but from my whole prep, including the dieting, the cardio, the training, the hardest thing was the posing. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Uh, holding the poses as well like it's so difficult to get into that position and having to hold the pose for more than five seconds so I kind of I would say that I didn't like I underestimated how much you really needed to practice and it got to like eight weeks out I started practicing every day and then because I was doing it in front of the mirror on the day of the comp you get on stage and you're like oh my god your mind blanks like obviously I did practice without the mirror but it is so difficult and you hold the poses for a lot longer than you think on stage and then obviously your nerves kick in so in my first like quarter turns it's on video as well I like kind of trip on my side pose and it's so embarrassing I was like you know it literally knocked my confidence down um and then when the eye walk came round um on my competition the good thing about the eye walk, I feel like by that point, you're, because you because you got confidence. Yeah, you got confidence, and it, obviously every federation is different. But the only the top three got to do eye walk. So because I got in the top three, all of a sudden you I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, hell yeah, I'm gonna do this. So in my eye walk, I actually don't look nervous compared to the quarter turns. Yeah. Um, and the good thing with eye walk is if there's a pose. So for example, it's my side pose when I'm on my right side. I just didn't put that in my eye walk. So it's quite cool because you can be quite flexible with what you do on your eye walk. Um, but I guess the main thing is just practice. Honestly, practice more than you think you need to. And get I some... Agree with, I agree with what Sammy said about the eye walk as well. Like I found that so much easier than the rest of the posing because you, you know you've already got top three, so you just buzz in. Um, and you can manipulate it to make it suit you and what suits you best, what poses suit you best. Um, but yeah, I was shaking like an absolute leaf the first time I got on stage. But the thing is, nothing compares to stepping on stage. Like no matter how much practice you do as well, when you get on stage, obviously it helps to practice. It helps to go to workshops. It helps have lessons. But nothing compares to actually being on stage. So that itself, like doing competitions, will help you get better at posing because like the first time I stepped on stage I was shaking like I was so nervous and it showed on stage the second time like I was a little less nervous a little more comfortable and then I just got better and better as time went on and that was just nerves from being on stage in front of a bunch of people who I didn't know yeah and like a little tip of what you could do and what helped me was I would record myself at home so I would kind of like where I do my progress pictures, I would just put the camera like 
front facing front um and then because that way the monitor is so small on your phone compared to like a mirror um so you can kind of practice on there and then you can watch the video back to kind of see um what you look like but yeah i think just practice yeah i get my clients to send me a video of them posing with their check-ins so they'll do their front pose their side pose their back and the other side and they'll also do me a video as long as they have time obviously some people are a bit more rushed but as many of them as i can whilst they're in a contest prep i get them to send me a posing video as well and also if they ever go to pose with someone else if they go for a lesson try and get them to record that because it's always different seeing someone's physique move as opposed to seeing a standstill picture. Plus it gets you a bit of posing practice. And also if you're someone, because I think some people are quite naturally flowy, you know, if they have like good sense of rhythm and things like that, but some people aren't. So if you're one of those people who gets a bit shy and you don't really have that sass yet, um, you know, make sure that you go to these posing workshops because I, I reckon posing with girls, so not just one-on-one, -on -one, but like posing workshops, it actually builds your confidence and you can Definitely. kind of see everyone's different style and then you can like adopt your own style. Yeah, 100% agree. Cool. Next question. Advice for someone that loves the thought of competing but doesn't have the physique for it. So this question... Um, I know the person who asked it and um, for her it's not that sh she has got the potential to step on stage she just needs to work towards hypertrophy first and build enough muscle tissue to be able to hold her own on stage that's it it's just going to come with time patience and consistent hard work she will get there she's got the ability to get there she just needs to work her ass off over time and um, the thing is, hypertrophy is a very slow process. It's not going to happen overnight. So if you want to step on stage and you haven't got a hell of a lot of muscle tissue, that's what you need to focus on. Forget fat loss for a little bit and just build as much muscle tissue as you, you can. Focus on getting strong at compound movements um, and follow a structured training program in the gym. Make sure your form and execution is on point. And just progress as much as you can with your gym performance and hypertrophy. Um, and you will eventually be able to step on stage. You just need to work hard for it and be willing to invest a decent period of time into it. Yeah, em embrace the different processes. And yeah. First, you have to become uncomfortable to get comfortable. And that's definitely true. I think with females especially, um, w gaining weight mentally is quite challenging. Yeah, um, especially if you're someone who, for example, has been quite skinny your whole life, um, you know, it's it's difficult to kind of switch your mindset over to trying to build more muscle. But yeah. definitely it will pay off. And you know, I don't I don't believe in in someone having a body that's not good enough to compete. I think people are just you can't compare your chapter one, for example, to someone's chapter five or six, you know? Yeah. So just focus on um, getting yourself a good coach who's going to help you with the process, progressively overloading, enjoying all of that, because then when the time does come to compete, you feel so much better for it. Yeah. And do your research as well. Make sure that you're wanting to compete for the right reasons and yes. not just for like, for example, I know for a fact, some people will get into competing thinking that 
it's going to boost their social media profile that you know lots of people are going to like them for external validation but that's not necessarily the right reasons for competing so make sure you do a bit of research have a look into different federations what sort of category you want to go for what federation you want to compete with because they all have different criteria um, and then work to fit that category because you can it's just going to take a bit of hard work exactly perfect if you weren't working in the fitness industry what would your dream job be right so i'm gonna answer this question in two parts so first part is i originally went to uni and i studied sport management because i've actually always been into sports growing up and my dream first was to work within sports so kind of like um sponsorships or on the day of the match for example i was really into ice hockey um to kind of be there uh, helping host the event so doing that kind of stuff um but then obviously fitness i developed my passion for fitness and now i'm so happy with what i'm doing i wouldn't change it for anything um but yeah that was like my initial what i wanted to do but then if i could just take everything away so like forget what I studied at uni and things like that. Um, I would have, I would want to become either a doctor or a dentist because I don't know. I just, I just like the thought of helping people or just like helping people enjoy their experience with something, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I would have definitely been a doctor or a dentist, but obviously you need to study so much for that. And in school I would have had to study like biology, which yeah. I never did. So yeah. So for me, similar to Sammy, like I've always, I've had a bit of a sporting background. Um, I used to do football coaching for girls, which I used to really enjoy. So that would be a potential. I used to play football as well and do coaching. Um, and at one, at one point I would have liked to, you know, go put more time into football and get really good at it and potentially like do some sort of scholarship with a football team or coach a football team. Um, and then I also did my like work placement when I was at school in the P department, like the teaching P department. So that's also something I would have been interested in, like just being a P teacher for kids. I think that would be so much fun. So either one of those, either a football coach or a P teacher, but very similar to what I'm doing now really, which, you know, it all ties in and it's kind of what I've always been interested in. Um, thank you for tuning in. If you do have any more questions or anything or suggestions for future episodes, just hit either me and Sammy or a message, guys. We really appreciate it as always. And thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. And also, if you have some time, leave us a comment or some feedback on the actual iTunes um, page. That yes we really appreciate that definitely so guys thank you for listening thank you for listening see you in the next one bye